Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. With a successful track record of delivering results to over 11,000 clients, over 7,000 media appearances, and numerous other accolades, my guest today, Sean Chuchuk, is considered the go-to coach for entrepreneurs, high achievers, and leaders who are driven to achieve more and collapse their timeframes. Sean is known as the productivity speaker and the number one results coach. He founded Change Your Results, Inc., which is an international coaching and change agency with clients located around the globe. And in addition to that, Sean hosts the award-winning Results Radio Broadcast. He is a two-time best-selling author and was featured in the movie The One Minute Success System with Brian Tracy. And he also produced and appeared in a second production entitled Game Changer. Besides his love of travel and family, he is passionate about empowering transformation within individuals, entrepreneurs, and organizations. And he knows business and has built and operated profitable 43 companies to date. Through his speaking, publication, articles, and videos, his message has impacted millions, as I know his message will impact you today. Listen in. Enjoy. Sean Chuchek, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, getting caught up a little bit, and welcome. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Now, Sean, you know, your bio, you know, the lead into this is kind of short and sweet, covers a lot of ground. You've obviously done a lot. You're an author, uh, you're a coach, you're a business owner, but give us a little bit more depth if somebody bumps into Sean and has a little time on their hands and says, Sean, what do you do? What's your answer? Well, that's a loaded question, my friend. Uh, you know, 
Uh, I'm not a big fan of this, and I remember this a long time ago, where someone said you have to have a 30-minute elevator pitch. I don't really go along that. You know, I'm one of these people, and, you know, I've known you for a few years as well, where, you know, I'm, I'm typically the one asking questions. But if someone kind of pushes that point, um, I usually share with them uh, what I do from, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, coaching or, or on the publishing side. But, you know, I'm the number one results coach or something like that, because at the end of the day, Nobody really wants to hear what I do or I'm at the best at something because everyone typically, and you know this, you know, I always tell the story when I'm speaking from stage, you know, if you ever met a realtor at the elevator, when you're waiting for the elevator to come upstairs to take you down in you know, whatever office tower, whatever city, and that you strike up a conversation and they say, I'm a realtor. You say, well, you know, I'm thinking about selling my house. And they say, well, you should use me. And if I ask why, they say, well, I'm the best. Um, and, you know, and, you know, for example, you know, most boards, depending on the size of your community, has thousands of realtors, licensed realtors. You know, how do you distinguish yourself from from that? But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I um, over the last few years, I really put a focus and an emphasis from a time perspective on my priorities. And one of those priorities is certainly family. So, you know, I invest a great deal of time with my kids and my wife and, uh, you know, take the time to do those things that are important to me uh, while still being fortunate enough and blessed to to operate a, a business or a couple of businesses where, I'm afforded that freedom, both from a time perspective and, and from a financial perspective. Now, you're a coach and you do lots of professional development, business kind of uh, coaching. Uh, within that, I know there's some personal development uh, kind of coaching. But give me some, uh, I guess, open up that conversation a little bit of, of where do you enter as a coach? What kind of conversations are you entering and, and where is your primary focus, if there is such a thing? The one thing I don't do, and I guess I'll, I'll put this out there because typically the question I'm asked, you didn't ask it, but is, you know, what's your niche? Where do you specialize? You know, are you a life coach? Are you a business coach? Are you a marketing coach? Are you whatever the different modalities are, which there are literally hundreds, maybe more. And one of the things I look at from a coaching perspective, typically the individuals or entrepreneurs or leaders that engage with me or, or seek me out um, are those that have achieved some level of success in their lives already. And they know there's more. They just perhaps can't get past that, you know, the glass ceiling that they can see through. Mm -hmm. And it, the reality of, of coaching is coaching is not directing someone or dictating to someone or to a team. Um, it's about working hand in hand and side by side with that individual to avoid potholes and collapse timeframes. But it's a holistic approach. If we come at this and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a business coach. That's great. You can be really good at the fundamentals of business from a very transactional aspect, you know, the processes, the systems and the procedures, which are all important, important, granted. Um, the other side of the coin is probably 50% of the time, not because it was something that I ever dreamt I would doing, you know, would be doing 35 years ago, but probably 50% of the time is working with individuals on what goes on in the six inches between our ears. Mm -hmm. And that came about as a direct result of, you know, when I left university and I, after I did my master's um, and going working with companies on a consulting standpoint, one of the interesting parts of it was that they shoved me into middle management and said, here's where, you know, you should work. And what I realized is, you know, if you didn't have engagement, burn the binders. You need to be able to relate to people and they need to be relate to you and understand where, where it is they want to go. And then being able to, uh, you know, reverse engineer that pathway, if you will, what has to happen on a yearly, monthly, weekly, daily. And for guys like me, maybe with, you know, a touch of undiagnosed ADHD, what, what do you have to be doing every hour? How do I become productive? You know, and which is obviously a buzzword that's been around for a few generations, but I think there's a key behind that, that most, well, you know what, most people don't understand, whether it's leadership, whether you're a high achiever, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever that is. So when you look at, you know, when you're entering into, you know, it's, 
back to your point, right? Because if we talk about a niche, it, it it's very difficult as a coach, especially whether it's, you know, I do have been a coach for many, many years, you know, even in the world of real estate, we call it, you know, the how to's is only one aspect of investing in real estate, as you know. And of course, in business, the know-how of what you're doing in business is only one aspect of it. You know, the other aspect of that is, to your point, is the other aspect that goes on between the six inches between your ears and uh, whether we call that mindset or attitude or whatever it is understanding what are your blind spots perhaps what's in your way of busting through that glass ceiling that you spoke through or spoke of and you know as coaches what's your thoughts on this because you know here's my experience is i believe that you know the quality of your life is a reflection of the quality of the questions you ask and sometimes as coaches our job is to ask the questions really we're not there to tell people what to do or how to do and we give them guidance but really i've always believed that you have the answers you just need somebody often to ask you the right questions, to get to the questions that need to be answered. What's your thoughts on that, Sean? I'm just, because you're a coach, I'm just kind of wanted to go down that path a little bit. You know what? I think you're right. I think in probably 90% of the cases, 90% of the opportunities, the, the privileges that I've had to work with incredible people from pretty much all walks of life, they all know where they need to be going. They know and understand uh, what has to happen. But human nature is such, and I know you probably will agree with this in your experience in the last number of years, uh, human nature is such that um, we find reasons why we shouldn't or can't and justify those reasons. And, you know, I've got a gentleman at British Columbia speaking of real estate um, who wanted to become an investor, young guy, late 20s at the time when him and I met, I spoke at an event. And um, I had a privilege of working with him for three years and uh, on one-on-one -on -one coaching, which I don't do very much of anymore, but this was something that he implored me, I guess is the way to put it, to work with him one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And he, he, he got to understand very quickly that it was a big investment of time, energy, effort, and some money. And he encountered, like most people that get into something that they want to do, it's hard. And I remember receiving phone calls from this individual saying, oh my goodness, Sean, I... I like, this is so incredible. I, I don't think I can do this. And, you know, deep down in places that most people don't talk about at parties, we all know that we have this incredible amount of potential that is very deep within us. And part of the role of a coach is to help that individual excavate that potential. And I, I really think that's, you know, this individual, he's done some pretty incredible things. He phoned me in December 31st of this past, uh, this past December. And uh, he said, you know, I'm going to fly to Calgary in January and, and buy you dinner. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, I just met with my accountant this morning. And I said, oh, he said, yeah. He said, net uh, $1.5 million in my jeans this year. And he said, if if it wasn't for you kicking my butt, for lack of better terminology, but that's, that's what he used, he said, I wouldn't be here. And sometimes, you know, coaching is a step beyond the, you know, helping people see their potential helping them excavate it, walking the hand in hand and side by side to avoid potholes and collapse time frame. Sometimes it's about saying, hey, listen, you need to go do this. You know you can. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. You have everything it takes. You're the only one standing in your own way. You need to go do this. And we had some pretty intense, tough conversations. Uh, a lot of people would call me uh, blunt or brash sometimes, especially in conversations like this. But, you know, when you have that kind of thing happen and you witness the outcomes uh, for me, that's a big part why, you know, I've had my own coaches tell me for probably the past 15 years or maybe more that I shouldn't be doing one-on-one -on -one anymore. 
And uh, while they're probably right from uh, you know an investment of time and you know a business standpoint, I thrive on it. It drives me. I love working with individuals one on one, and he's a prime example of why. And there's lots of stories like that. And there are also people out there you know who have this this misconception, and you've met them, I'm sure as well, who they think I'm going to hire Sean and whoever that high level coach is, and magically he or she is going to snap their fingers and I'm going to you know be successful, whatever the success means to that individual, you know, million dollars, ten million dollars, hundred million dollars, whatever that whatever that means to them. And as we all know, that's not reality. Reality is that, um, you know, there has to be some kind of a plan in place that you're going to follow execute on. There's, there's a certain amount of time involved. Um, now you can collapse those timeframes. If you put an emphasis and a focus on what those priorities are, those, what, you know, what I like to call high leverage activities. Uh, whereas most people are busy, you know, time in does not equal results out because we find reasons and ways to spend time doing something that quote unquote needs to get done, but doesn't necessarily mean it's moving us in the direction of our objective. And I, and I think that's important to know. I've had clients phone me and say, Hey, Sean, you know, I, I put in 18 hours today, especially when we start working together initially. And I say, perfect. What, you know, what, what happened? What did you accomplish? What did you do today? And they give me this, this list of things, this litany of things that, that are, it's amazing. And, but, you know, they talk about, you know, emptying the waste paper baskets in their office when they have, you know, the $25 million a year company and they've got 30 or 40 staff. And I say, yeah, but that's not a high leverage activity for you to be doing. And they're like, well, somebody's got to do it mm. at the rate, mm-hmm. but not that individual. And and so I think it's interesting that, um, you know, if we start to sit down and one of the things I have had the privilege to work with so many amazing people on is we together on a collaborative basis, make a determination where they're going. What does that destination look like? And I'm a simple guy. I grew up in British Columbia and own a farm somewhere down south. So I, I quit it a little differently than some. Let's take that that destination and let's reverse engineer it. Let's figure out what you need to be doing from a monetary standpoint and how that relates to your activities or those high leverage activities. Because when we know what we should be doing, we start experience results because you create an accountability. And most people aren't accountable uh, because we justify why we should or shouldn't do something or why we didn't do something and we defer it you know, down the road and we keep kicking that can down the road. Uh, and all of a sudden, a year, two, three, four, five, ten goes by, and we're like, oh, my goodness, you know, when I was 30, I wanted to do, or when I was 40, and we look in that rearview mirror. And I, and I think that if you're really serious about achieving something in life, you, whatever that is, whether it's building strong, powerful, high-trust relationships, whether that's your health, whether that's your business, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whatever that is, and maybe it's more than one, you need to have a clear vision of where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, how are you going to get there? Mm-hmm. You know, you okay, so you said a lot, and there's a lot of little points of entry that I want to get in there. But, you know, something that I, I think is important to shine a light on, Sean, in this conversation is exactly what you said. There's busy work, you know, where people are busy all day long, they're busy. There is also the have an outcome that you're working backwards from to achieve. But even in that, you know, you can put that plan together. But how do you, number one, Keep yourself focused and and executing on that plan. There's an execution. What I heard you say in there, for example, that good client that had you know did a great big you know had a, a high net gain over the course of that year was that you were driving him to execute against a plan and holding him accountable to that execution. And and I think that's such a it's one thing to have a great mindset and a great attitude. You still have to at the end of the day you have to execute and you still have to execute against a plan. And then how do you measure the results of that execution over the course of a week, a month, a year, whatever that might be. That's what a lot of what I heard you say in there, Sean. Am I kind of hitting on that point? 
Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting is, you know, my wife, Stephanie, is an Olympic a medal performance coach. So she's working always backwards from the podium, right? The, uh, whatever medal, you know, that they're working backwards from always a gold. But, you know, there's always these things in between. And, you know, there's Grand Prix, there's competitions. And we often relate it to athletes because our own background is working with a lot of athletes as well at a high level. But that's exactly what they're doing. Their plan is, you know, they're not just going out and practicing. They're actually going out and moving forward incrementally, working backwards from a plan. It's a big distinction, you know, really to understand that line. You know, most people, and this is interesting, Patrick, most people don't, we talk about this, you know, we, I said reverse engineering, you said working backward, you know, yep. this is, is a very small portion of the population today that even understand what you and I are talking about. Mm. Uh, perhaps those watching this, this and listening to this, this podcast, Maybe it's more the norm, but it, it's a very small percentage of people. If you walk down the street in any major city today, in and we'll just say North America, and you reference coaching with a stranger, the, the, the question you're likely to get is which sport. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we start talking about this, I know I know very well educated people, and one in particular comes to mind, you know, with a couple of PhDs, and you know, this incredible individual can't afford to pay attention, never mind his bills. Mm -hmm. And when him and I started, he he hired me, and he. What I found out down the road is he hired me. This is going back a number of years now. He hired me to disprove what I did. And at the end of the day, he he made a commitment to himself. I didn't know this at the time. He shared this 10 years later, that he made a commitment to do whatever I suggested he do. And it worked. And he couldn't fathom it. It just didn't fit into the logic that was his norm based upon his background, his experience, and his education. And he phoned me 10 years after we finished working together. And he said, well, actually, he phoned the office. And one of the staff said, yeah, this guy wants to buy you a coffee. Uh, and I said, okay, who is he? And so they gave me a name. I said, yeah, you know, book a coffee, whatever, find a time in the schedule. And they did. And I walked into the coffee shop, and he was already there. And I sat down and, and grabbed a coffee. And, and he said to me, Sean, I want to thank you. And I said, for what? He said, well, you saved my life and you saved my marriage. And I said, well, thank you. I don't know how I did that, but thank you. And it was a perspective shift because – the road, and he shared this with me very openly, the road he was going down was not a positive one. Now, I didn't know where he was at. I didn't know, and he shared this, you know, that he'd, he'd invested a considerable amount of time, energy, and money to work with me, but his the premise and the sole objective behind him doing that was to disprove, like, that, you know, I was scamming. Um, you know, even we talked about this reverse working backward thing, you know, and he didn't, this was foreign to him. And when we start talking to people and sharing, hey, listen, you know, they say, well, I got a goal. I want to do a million dollars. And I say, perfect. Why? Have you ever been there before? If you've never done something, yes, the sole purpose of a goal is growth. If you know how to do something, it's not a goal. But the reality of it is, if you've never, and we'll use that number, because a lot of people, this is a common thing. You've sure. heard this, I want a million dollars. And Hence the name of the show, by the way, The Everyday Millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a million dollars is not as much no, as one sure well, not. Well, that was we discussed before going on the air. Yeah. The other side of the coin is, if you've never done that, if you know how to do, you know, you've generated 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand, whatever it is, it, it, it's it's old hat. You know how to do it. You can get up and do it for the most part in your sleep. But when we go to those something we've never done before, what typically happens is we go, I'm going to do a million dollars. And then we keep doing more of the same. Well, more of the same gives you more of the same. If you're going to hit a million dollars, you have to do something dramatically different if last year was 100,000. And, you know, some people say to me, Sean, you know, I, I, not right now. And then six or eight months later, you know, they'll be at an event where I speak and they'll come up to me and say hi. And they say, hey, how are you doing with that objective, that goal you set, you know, whatever it was eight months ago? And they say, yeah, well, you know, I'm still thinking about it. 
And I asked them the question, what are you doing differently today than you were doing, you know, 10 months ago? And they look at me like, you know, like I'm speaking a different language. The reality of it is if you're going to do something different, you have to break it down. And this is where a coach comes in. This is where the idea of understanding that uh, we're, we all have an incredible amount of knowledge, skills, skill, education, and experience. And if we bring that to bear, it can change our outcomes. But where it doesn't play in is that we have to break it down. So again, I'm that I'm that guy that, you know, farm kid from Southern BC, you can eat a whole apple, but you very likely can't eat the whole apple in one bite. So you have to break it down into bite-sized pieces. If you could take that and do that with this, you know, as Jim Collins in the book Good to Great calls a big, hairy, audacious goal, and we can break it down into something that we can assimilate and understand, then we can start to make that progress and actually see those results. Is there accountability component? Is there, you know, do you have to have someone hold your feet to the fire? Most of us, yes. Yeah. Uh, most people are not willing, and here's the key. There's a very small portion of people out there today who are willing to do what it takes to see the results they talk about. And I'll use an example from the publishing side of what I do. In 2018, two-thirds of Americans said they wanted to write a book. Uh, on the nonfiction side in the United States, just under 100,000 books were released in, in 2018. So it gives you an idea, you know, if you think about the population of the United States, it gives you an idea of the percentage of people, just, you know, just it's irrational, but still there's a huge disparity between those that said yes and those that actually did something with it. So that's an interesting, like, so Sean, let's jump around here a little bit in this conversation because, you know, you're, you know, you're a great speaker, you're an author. And, you know, it's interesting that you talk, I've been asked to write a book on more than one occasion and I don't want to write a book. I, that's why I'm doing a podcast actually, you know, that I'm, I'm looking at technology and I go, no, books get old too fast. And then I'm going to have to rewrite or rewrite another one. No, I don't, I'm not interested. So that's my story. But the point is, is that, you know, I committed to, you know, my podcast has been seven years. I love doing it. I love meeting my guests, having these kinds of conversations. You're an author. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you, you're talking about a book. I think you have just released or are releasing and, and this is not your first book. So why don't we talk a little bit about your authorship. And, and here's what I learned. John D. Martini once shared with me about an author and being an author and writing a book. He was one of the guys that many years ago suggested I write a book. And it was because, you know, I was telling him that I was the best at what I do, blah, blah, blah. He goes, have you written a book? And I go, no. And he goes, well, just always remember being an author makes you an authority. And that's the whole context behind writing a book. It makes you an author, an authority authority, hence the word author. And I go, wow, that's kind of cool. I don't know where that fits in with a podcast or this conversation, but that was my lesson around writing a book. So tell me a little bit about your writing and kind of what got you into that world, because those, those are big commitments. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliments at the beginning of that. But uh, and, and I'll, I'll echo what Dr. Martini said to you. I hope you can reconsider writing a book. I don't know that I agree with the fact that a book gets old. Uh, the first book I wrote uh, back in 09 uh, I think we still, it still sold about 25,000 copies last year in 2021. Wow. And I can directly attribute to that well over a million and a half dollars in business in our company. So, uh, you know, a, a book is, it is a platform, a launch pad. It is, it is definitely instant credibility. Mm. If you have the knowledge skill to write a book and to put that, you know, that knowledge on paper, uh, we live in a world today where um, that information is assimilated, not necessarily in the traditional sense where someone orders that book online or goes to, you know, chapters or Barnes and Noble or whoever, wherever they buy their books. 
but you know that that first book is definitely um, you know there's thousands of of, uh, of sure. ebook copies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know people listening to it on Audible and all these kinds of things. I wrote a book back the the first one, Change Your Mind, Change Your Results, which became a bestseller fairly quickly. But I'll share this: the book itself is a tool, and you you alluded to this a moment ago. Yeah. Um, there are lots of people that you know I've given away thousands of copies. Thousands of copies have been sold. It still sells. We're probably uh, early next year going to re-release the book with some new information. But it's been a lot of years since it came out. I love the idea of the uh, the, the intellectual property being out mm. there. You know, certainly none of us are around forever. Yeah. And when that book first came out, I received a Facebook message, and it was available on I don't know thirty plus thousand uh, online booksellers around the world at the time, and it hadn't gone into stores yet. It was first month it was released, and I received a message on Facebook from a sixteen year old girl in the UK. Uh, who said, dear Mr. Shuchuk, thank you for writing this book. You know, and I'll abbreviate what the, it was about three three paragraphs, but you changed my life. And I honestly sat there, I was in my in my car at the time and I had my phone in my hand, I was reading this and I, I had tears in my eyes because the book is far more than a business tool. And it is a business tool, I'll be clear. It is a credibility tool. It is something that changes the dynamic of your business in ways that if you've never written one, you don't know or understand. But there's a much more uh, personal side to this. And there are, Literally, I've received thousands of messages since that book came out from people who I've never worked with, who've never worked with their company, who may never work with their company, may never attend event or anything, who have said, thank you. You know, it changed my life. And so uh, I really think there's another aspect to this. Sure. Um, and what's in today's world, it's out there forever. Like when you write a book, you know, like uh, it's it's something you can't pull back. We did a, we did a movie um, that I was a big part of back a few years called uh, Game Changer. Matter of fact, for those watching and listening, you go to uh, GameChangerTime.com and watch it for free. Um, and it really explores the whole idea of coaching. Uh, because as we talked about a moment ago, Patrick, you know, a lot of people, uh, it's a small segment of the population that know what we're talking about. Most don't. And this is meant to really kind of open that up and let people know that they're there is help available. There are people out there from, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's Sean, um, you know, whether it's from a business standpoint or a personal standpoint or relationships or your marriage or, and I'm not talking about counseling or a psychiatrist or, no. or a psychologist. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about, you know, future facing, you know, they say counseling is about the past and coaching is about the future. And that's really the focus behind it. And I think if you're open and, and this is a big challenge for some of us in particular men, if you're open to something new and the outcomes that I believe we were all positive outcomes were deserving of, you'll embrace the idea that you can do that and not do it your own. Those, anyone who's been truly successful, success doesn't always represent money, although perhaps it's a, a big part of it. Anyone that's been truly successful in their life, their business or career has had a coach, mm -hmm. full stop. Well, it's some, it's interesting because in your earlier, yeah, I was going to go back to it. It was one of the other points I wanted to hit on is that you mentioned that you, you know, you're a world-class coach. You do a lot of it. You have a business, you have a team, you support people one-on-one, one-on-many -on -one, one through your books, through your speaking, all the things that you do. You're, I think you've got a radio or slash podcast show. Now, the question then I guess is around all of that is, you also have a coach. So why do you have a coach? If you're a coach, why do you have a coach? Great question. Um, I have had at least one and sometimes more than one at the same time going back to um, the, the 90s, early 90s. 
my first coach was, and for you'll know, and a lot of a lot of your, your listeners will know, Bob Proctor, mm-hmm. uh, who passed away last year. And uh, I guess, yeah, yeah, last year now, early this year, I forget. Last year, it was recently. I think yeah. it was eight, seven, or eight, eight years old. And I, and I don't tell the story off, but I'll share it with you uh, because I think we have the time. Young guy uh, moved from small town BC to Calgary. Figured that uh, you know I had the world figured out. Got married, bought myself about 20, uh, 20 doors, investment properties. In those days, you know, real estate was a vastly different different space than it is today. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a good job. And you know, if we go back thirty over thirty years ago, you know, making eighty thousand dollars a year was a pretty significant amount of money. And I went inside about three months from living what I thought was, you know, I'd like by the tail, that sort of mentality to being um, literally broke, homeless, and in divorce court. Hmm. And I was driving through Calgary past where the, the Greyhound bus people once was, and it was like somebody hit me with a baseball bat in the side of the head. And I had this aha moment, this epiphany that something had to change and it had to be dramatic. I didn't know what at that point in time, because I was... Uh, perhaps not ready for it. I was in the middle of a pity party. And, you know, why me? This sort of thing that, you know, I, I've, you know, done, you know, relatively good by most standards. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a friend of mine who lent me the money to get an apartment. I got a, a job that was a go-nowhere job. And I heard about, and this is, you know, before the days where the internet is what it is, and um, which dates me, obviously, but uh, Bob Proctor was coming to Calgary. And he was doing it at the Sheridan Cavalier Hotel in Northeast. And, uh, but I phoned his office and I said, hey, I hear Bob's coming to Calgary. And I didn't know who he was. Um, you know, this is pre-secret and all these things that happened over the years. And they gave me the dates, times, and, and I asked how much. And they said $1,500. Well, I grew up in a very conservative, and I don't mean politically conservative, but conservative home. My dad was Ukrainian. Uh, his parents went through the Depression. Um, you know, frugality is probably putting it lightly when it comes to, you know, how I was raised. Um, you know, there had to be holes in the bottom of my soles before I got new shoes. And necessity today means something dramatically different than it does or did then. And I decided, well, I'm not having some guy preach to me for $1,500 for, you know, for, for three days. But I knew something had to change. So on the Friday evening, I went to the hotel and uh, walked past the reception desk and the staff were chasing me because I didn't have a name badge on. And uh, he was standing at the front of the ballroom. He was the only one in there and he was putting stuff in his briefcase. And I walked up to him. I shook his hand and I said, hi, Bob, my name is Sean. And I want to have a conversation about you coaching me. Now, for those of you who've heard Bob speak, uh, maybe heard him on on video or YouTube or wherever, he's known as one of the very best speakers in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, in person, he's a little more blunt, direct, and even brash. And Bob looked at me, didn't acknowledge anything I'd said, pointed at the restaurant down the hall in the lobby of the hotel, and he said, that restaurant, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., don't be late. And he walked away and left me standing in front of the ballroom. And... Um, I was a little bit shocked and taken aback because that's not what I expected, I guess. And the following morning at seven, I was in the in the in the lobby in the hotel, and he walked down precisely seven, sat down at the table in the restaurant. There was no one in the restaurant. The server came right over. We ordered, uh, and he ordered a dry toast and eggs. And something struck me while I was sitting there. There was five hundred people attending his event, none of which had asked him to breakfast, and he would have gladly gone with any of them. And the food came almost instantly because there was no one in the restaurant at that time in the morning. And uh, he looked at me and he said, Sean, I have a question for you. I said, yes. And, I, and I'm all yours because I'm sitting with this guy who is you know, supposed to be the best there is. I don't know him from, know him from Adam. And he said, Sean, what's the most amount, most amount of money you've ever earned in a year? Now, remember, I, I come from a background. Money was a taboo topic. You don't talk about it. There was never enough. Even there was a little bit. 
least of all, you never ask someone what they make. Here's this guy asking, and I looked at Bob Proctor and I said, who the hell do you think you are? And Bob smiled knowingly and he said, Sean, he says, it doesn't really matter. I probably made more money than you have. I said, yeah, okay, you're probably right. Uh, he says, but it tells me two things. It tells me one, how you see yourself and how you value yourself. And it kind of blew my mind. Uh, you know, I, by this point in time, I'd gone to school, had a little bit of education. I started a couple companies and then, you know, lost everything, had a few, you know, rental properties. And we talked for 45 minutes and about, oh, probably 7.30 or 7.40, we were done eating. And he said, by the way, pretty soon I'm going to have to get back to the ballroom. And I said, listen, I, I genuinely appreciate you spending time with me. It's, it's been fantastic. My head's going 90 miles an hour or faster. I, I've never been exposed to this kind of thing before. And uh, he says, are you still interested in coaching with me? And I said, yes. Do you have a business card? He said, no, I don't carry cards. And if you knew Bob at all, he never carried business cards. And he reached in his suit jacket and he pulled out a scrap piece of paper, wrote his assistant's phone number and name and passed it across the table to me. He said, call her. She'll take care of the details. And I said, all right. And I still had plans to do this. And so it's probably 10 to 8 by now. And he says to me, so Sean, says, I've got to get back to the to the uh, the the uh, the ballroom. He says, by the way, you never asked me what the investment is for coaching. I said, yeah, you're right. And we kept talking. So now it's like four minutes, two or something. And he gets up and I shake his hand and I sit back down and he turns around and as he turns around, he turns his head and he throws over his shoulder at me. He's like, oh, by the way, Sean, it's $90,000 to work with me for six months. <laughs> I probably didn't have $90 in my bank account at this point in time. And I remember paying the the breakfast, the bill for breakfast. And it, was, it that that hurt me, which probably wasn't very much money. And I was in shock. Honestly, I don't really remember the drive home. I remember walking to my car. And in those days, you know, my, my cell phone wasn't quite as smart as the ones we have today. And I, I sat there and dialed this phone number. And if you recall, the days where we had free weekends. And I thought, oh, well, you know what? It's a weekend. She's not going to answer because it's Saturday morning. And um, yeah, I have free calling. So I dialed this Toronto phone number. And uh, I sat there for 35 or 45 minutes with my finger over that send button. Because in my mind, uh, it was making a commitment. And I didn't know where the money was coming from. <laughs> But I did. It took me, like I said, probably the better part of an hour to make that call after voicemail Monday. You know, she called me back and we took care of the paperwork and in those days on a fax machine. But now I had to come up with the money. And, you know, that that first uh, that first year certainly uh, saw me eating some, you know, day old bread and a lot of craft dinner. But I wouldn't be today where I am in life and I wouldn't have had the privileges I've had. I wouldn't have had the impact that I've had if I hadn't made that decision. So I worked with Bob for a number of years after that. He wrote the forward to my first book. Um, and then every year since, I've had I've had coaches, sometimes the same, uh, sometimes others, uh, or more than, more than one. And um, I don't think that you can grow to your potential without having that, right? That's a long-winded answer to your question, but I share the story because it kind of gives a foundation for it. When I wanted to start a publishing company, I phoned a gentleman that I had met. He was a publisher for one of the largest uh, publishing at the time, publishing houses in the United States. I was the opening keynote. He was the closing keynote at a one-day event in uh, in Dallas. And we'd sat in the green room for a couple hours. He was there early. My flight didn't leave till the, till the evening. And we exchanged phone numbers. And I called him. And you know, ultimately, he said, no, I don't want to work with you. I'm retiring. This changes my mind later on. I worked with him for probably 18 months because I needed the inside scoop. So if you want to make a shift and a change, you need to have a coach. Not, and again, this is not a, I'm not here to sell Sean across the board. Don't get me wrong. I want to work with amazing, wonderful, incredible people. 
But the point in all this is that um, to make those significant changes, it takes an investment of time, energy, effort, money. And I ask everybody that I get the privilege to have a conversation with, um, you know, are you prepared to do anything and everything that it takes to get where you want to go, provided that it's legal, moral, and ethical? And I think you have to be able to answer yes to that question if it's going to work. Well, I think a lot of people would think they could answer yes to that question. You know, what I've learned over the years, and thanks for sharing that story, by the way, because it gives me some additional insights. But, you know, we often say, you know, we talk about, even in one of the podcasts my wife and I do together, we do, we talk about, you know, we, that segment's called Mindset Matters, but we talk about certain things. One of the things that we've talked about is, are you coachable? You know, you're a coach, you know, you coach people, you don't coax people. And as soon as you got to start coaxing somebody, then it's the game's over. Like there, that's not what I'm here to do. So are you coachable is such a, an important conversation. And most people think they are until they, get told they got to do the extra set of squats, right? It's like, it's like, okay, no, you got to go do, that's where the growth is, is in the extra set. So these are things that we discover, but also in understanding what you just did. I mean, you were still a young man. I mean, it's not like you're an old man. You're, you're, mere, you're a mere child to me, but you were a young man when uh, you uh, had that conversation with Bob Proctor. And I was, I was okay. a young guy, yeah. So let's just break that down. I mean, this is this is interesting because it's a statement of character. You know, first off, Given your background, you know, you actually had the savvy or the balls to actually make the call to Proctor. That was the first thing that you have to pay attention to. You know, 99 out of 100 people or, you know, 999 out of 1,000, whatever, would not have ever even made that call. Secondly, you actually had an intelligent conversation with Bob. You met him and did what you did. And then you actually committed to something that was way over your pay grade. And as you know, that bar was set really high, which I'm sure he did intentionally, whether that was legit or not, doesn't matter. The point is, is that you then took the next step and said, okay, no, I got to do this. So those are major forks in the road that you, for whatever reason, saw. You saw that fork in the road, said I had to take it. But that's actually a statement of character. Now, the reason I kind of preface that whole conversation, Sean, is because I go back to understanding what it takes. You know, part of what I, you know, around this show is, you know, seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary results. Now, we go back to a kid raised in... BC by a very conservative based family and frugal and, you know, whatever that conversation is. Yet out of that came a man who is making a difference in the world on a day-to-day basis and uh, affecting, impacting literally millions of people over these many years. So let's go back to that. Tell me a little bit about you as a kid growing up, you know, was your dad entrepreneurial? Was your mom entrepreneurial? You know, what really had you come out of the shoot and go, or what's the fork on the road? Where's the, where's the, you know, what drove, I want to change the world. I want to make an influence. So I don't want to go to that question yet. I want to go back to what the first question was. Tell me a little bit about where your parents so are you, this also, sorry to, to be long-winded in the question, I often am. So the, the, the question really is, is it nature or nurture? Uh, that's a good question. And I'll let you and the listeners determine that outcome. And I'll share a little bit of this. Um, I grew up in a home where my dad was definitely entrepreneurial, uh, perhaps not in the right way. I remember uh, very distinctly him crawling underneath the Kenworth to change oil. I was probably 12 or 13 at the time. And... I said to him, you know, why are you doing the oil change? He goes, well, the shop charges $500. And I said, well, couldn't you 
couldn't you be doing something that paid you more than $500 for that, you know, that period of time? And he looked at me like I had 16 heads. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, my dad would never have retired. My dad was killed in a hit and run accident many, many years ago. And I remember he'd sold a couple of companies and his own, the only thing, and I, by the way, people ask me, you know, how I got involved in real estate. Well, this, this was, you know, this was part of my, my upbringing. I think it's in my blood. Uh, you know, three weeks before my dad passed away, he went and bought a house that no one knew about. We didn't find it until probably three or four weeks after he was, you know, he passed on. And it was just, you know, he was going to do a rehab and flip it. And um, so that's where that comes from. And uh, I grew up in that. Um, I also remember being, you know, a young kid, very young, preteens and having to, you know, be up till two, three, four in the morning because things have to happen in a certain timeline. That was the the my perspective of, of entrepreneurialism. And I didn't want that. I was determined never to be an entrepreneur. When I moved from BC to to Alberta, I vowed I was not going to be an entrepreneur. And I then went and got myself a job and found it found that I was highly unemployable. And <laughs> uh, that that sort of was, you know, I tried it a couple of times to see if I was right. And ultimately it turned out that I was. And and um so I've had the privilege of, of uh, running and starting 43 different, 44, I guess now, over the last uh, 32 plus years. Uh, the one constant through all of that is uh, no matter the highs and lows, um, there might have been there might have been about a year in there where this didn't happen. But from about age 20, I don't know, 21 or 22, I've always kind of worked. I was a coach before there was coaching. How's that? Mm -hmm. um, working with small businesses. And it all started uh, from being 13 years old. And in the back of a magazine was an ad classified section, something about helping companies grow and succeed. And I asked my parents, you know, those days, you know, we didn't have the technology around banking we do today. And I asked my parents to write a check. I think it was 12 or $13 for this, this book. And essentially what someone had done is written a book and printed it themselves. And it was a watered down version of management consulting. But I was a 13 year old kid, lived in rural BC. Who am I going to consult with? The cattle down the lane? Like, you know, that's it's not realistic. And I was in school. And so what really happened and how I made the money that I had to when, you know, I worked with Bob and throughout a number of years was this. Um, and I took the, I still have the book. It's actually sitting at home. And, you know, my my son asked me about it because it looks old and it's, uh, you know, looks like someone typed it on a, on a, on an old style, you know, uh, manual typewriter, which it probably was. But that was really sort of the beginning of this for me. Uh, so I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial home, although not what we would consider to be, you know, in today's world, efficiency or what I teach and preach and practice. Um, and then, you know, moved to, you know, in those days, what I called the big city and without, with full intentions of never becoming an entrepreneur. And obviously that didn't work out. Um, and so the entrepreneurial side did. And I have uh, you know, built a lot of companies, the largest of which was management consulting firm, the largest management consulting firm in Western Canada that I sold in 07. It, it really, the, some of the fundamentals, you know, people look at me funny when I start talking about this, especially uh, when I'm working with companies and they say, well, how do you know that? And sometimes I have to give it a second thought because we go back to, you know, when I was a kid uh, growing up in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a family where business was, you know, the lifeline. It was the focus where it was, there was always some kind of entrepreneurial venture on the plate, no matter what time of year, or what season it was. And, you know, there was, and I, and I work with clients on this even now when it comes to, you know, utilization of time and investment of time, you know, uh, growing up in Southern BC, you, you appreciate that there's a time when you harvest the fruit and et cetera, et cetera. And if you miss that, you lose out on your crop. 
Uh, if you're in the prairies in Alberta, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba, you know, it's great for the most part. And, you know, if the snow falls and your crop is lying flat, you're pretty much out of luck. You know, in your business, you have times and in your life, you have times where there are certain things that you need to be doing. And uh, if you miss that, you have challenges in getting to that place you want to. So for me, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't think everyone is ever going to do what Sean's done. Um, I think there are people out there, no matter what it is you do, even if you have a traditional job, you still have to perform. You still have to uh, deliver a certain level of service in order to keep that job. So at some level, each and every one of us can uh, wrap their head around what I'm saying. If you don't show up in a certain way, you're not going to be around to be of service. When you look at, you know, I want to go back and just touch on a, a, a bit of a question around, you know, 40 plus businesses. You know, that's that's relatively uncommon. I mean, you're most most people are starting up businesses and then driving those businesses to grow and they have them for many years. And I'm, I'm certainly that kind of guy. What what drove you to say, I'm going to build businesses and sell them? Is that was just a model that you had? Was that just a thought process you had? Or were they just ongoing entrepreneurial accidents and you just kept having them? There were certainly some, some accidents, uh, unintentional. Some were not. I mean, building the consulting company at the same time that I was building the, uh, you know, the eviction company in, in Alberta, was you know was not intentional the the consulting side was you know i bought a i bought a a little tiny business the guy had tried to build and it wasn't doing anything too significant and um built it to um well over 100 million dollars 137 million dollars in about seven or eight years the other one that was not intentional and this is just a couple for example's sake um was the eviction company which uh, you know there was a point in time where if we go back a number of years, I did a vast majority of that work for the RAIN members here yeah. in the province of Alberta, yeah. where, you know, um, we I had an immigrant couple come to me and say, listen, we bought a house. We didn't know what we're doing. Would you would you help us? And I said, that's not the kind of work I do. Like, I don't do that work. And they begged and implored. And, and I finally relented after about a week. And I ran into court and got a court order. And, uh, oh yeah, but let's, well, let's, we should give listeners a little bit of background, you know, aside from your direct and your brash, you're a big dude, you know, so you're even a little intimidating physically as well as, you know, just how you articulate messages. Well, I was, I was hoping you weren't going to raise that, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Yes. You you can look pretty mean on any given day. That's the, that's the, the point of that. Okay. But you're, but you're you know, good looking, let's face at- it. Oh, geez. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, when I was in university, I worked in a nightclub. Mm. And I remember, uh, you know, I long left that stuff and was done university. And somebody took me aside one time and said to me, Sean, you know, you really have to smile. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, but I do smile. I'm like, no, you, you look like a doorman who wants to kick someone's backside. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so for a while there, I was very conscious about, you know, the fact that I had to walk around with this Tresser cat grin on my face. Um, yeah, you know what? I've been fortunate and blessed. I, 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 you know, at least was six foot two at one point in time and, uh, you know, was, yeah, I mean, did, did a lot of evictions in the province, but that was something that came out of one interaction. Hmm. It, I never set out to say, I want to, I want to own that company. But, you know, after I did that one file for somebody, all of a sudden I had literally had a lineup down the hallway of the office. Uh, with folks from that community, because I'd been referred from inside of the community. 
And it grew into something that was very significant by the time I sold it. Um, so uh, the, the intention was never to build companies and sell. Honestly, that never crossed my mind until it started to happen. And only really happened because as I built multiple companies at the same time, they all kind of got to a place where I couldn't do it all. Um, and the only one that I really, like I guess two that I really hung on to um, was the consulting company until 07 and then the eviction company as well, where I had folks working for me. Um, that handled, you know, a vast majority of the operation. The um, the coaching side was interesting because it started working with small business people, um, helping them from a structure standpoint, some of the more transactional aspects. And, um, you know, as I started to understand and, and matured, you know, myself personally uh, and understand how we as human beings operate, think, function, um, certainly some of the approaches changed to that. But, you know, uh, you know, would I would I continue to do it? Yeah. You know, at some point I, I'm sort of that um, that that individual that if I see an opportunity, I want to take advantage of it. And so being able to do that in a way where I guess the one thing I'm aware of is that, you know, if you take on too much, you accomplish nothing. Mm-hmm. If you spread too thin. So, you know, even with the, the publishing company, I mean, that company was I put that on the back burner for probably three and a half or four years. Uh, till I had the knowledge, until I had, you know, some folks on the team to help me with that, um, because it would have negatively, 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 wow, impacted the other, you know, the other things I was doing at that point in time. Building companies can be interesting and challenging, and building companies isn't for everyone, because there's a certain amount of, as you know, from your own experiences, you know, there's always a risk involved with building a company. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those individuals that, whether it, this is right or wrong, I tend to be able to perform or dance very well when there's a gun pointed at me. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe that is hereditary. Maybe that's, maybe that's learned. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, and when you encounter a challenge, you know, I'm always, my wife tells me this too, I should stop trying to, to fix everything, but for everyone, uh, but you know, there's always a solution to every problem. Well, you know, let's back up to, you know, the comment that your wife, you know, makes around you trying to fix everyone. I mean, I know where it's that, comment i understand what's behind it but you know aside from the money uh the dollars and cents side of you know gaining what drives you in terms of your coaching what are you what have you become aware of over the years of why is it you coach why is it that you publish books you know if you take money off the table what's what's behind it for you a good question um and one i think that probably most people don't even think about um i if I'm being honest, I really don't need to do one-on-one coaching anymore. I've been very blessed and fortunate in my life, and, and I'm forever grateful for that. So it, that that aspect of it is not about the money. You know, we we live in a world where most people today don't follow through with what they talk about or perhaps even commit to without a pinch in the pocketbook. But yeah, I, I don't need to. I do it because um, I honestly love the transformation. I love working with individuals. And I'm very selective about who I I work with. Uh, not because I, I certainly don't think I'm better than anyone else, but I want to be able to work with, with the individuals that feel that they are going to actually follow through. And, you know, the term I use, and you heard it before, follow through and follow up. Um, most people today want something, but aren't willing to do what it takes. And so, you know, the transformation that I get the privilege to watch is definitely a big part of the motivation. There is no question in my mind whatsoever. Um, you know, when you when you see somebody who who changes whatever it is from a financial standpoint, from a process, systems, procedure, efficiency, uh, productivity in the organization, if it's a company, 
you know, even watching watching relationships uh, improve because once someone's perspective shifts fairly dramatically, you start to see shifts and changes um, that are very noticeable, you know, external to them. Um, I think that's a big part of this. You know, the other side of the coin is on the book side, and I alluded to this earlier when we were talking about books, is when I'm dead and gone, and I'm look, not looking forward to that anytime soon, but when I'm dead and gone, that material stays out there forever. You know, and, and I, I think back, and not that I'm equating myself to someone like Napoleon Hill, whether you like or dislike, you know, his his books, but, you know, Thing and Grow Rich has impacted millions of people. Uh, I've been told, and I'm not verified this, but I've been told that, you know, for a number of books in circulation that were printed, uh, it's second only to the Bible. Uh, you know, that's a pretty significant number out there. Now, again, I'm not saying I'm Napoleon Hill, but the fact that you have that type of, you know, opportunity to share that information that does have a positive impact to change lives, uh, that's a big part of why I've decided to do that. Yes, I would be remiss uh, and, le- and leaving this out if I if I didn't say the book is a massive credibility tool. Um, you know, my business changed dramatically when the first book came out. You know, when we launched a couple of years ago, uh, launched um, um, the the Freedom Journal, uh, which was a beautiful hardcover book um, all about, you know, the achievement and productivity side of things. I think we had to do three prints of that because it sold so fast. And again, the same thing was, did, did I need to actually do that book? No, or that journal? No, I honestly, in, you know, with humility, I did not have to. But the impact it's had, the number of people that have benefited from it and shared it with me has been has been outstanding. And the same with one, the one that came out this year, you know, the Freedom Journal that came out this year. It's a little smaller, a little more compact. It's something that we had heard from folks they wanted. And it's a different system that I put together over the course of a couple of years has had a dramatic impact. I think we're well over 100 and, 147,000 copies sold between January or December of last year and now. Well, yeah, well, let's unpack that that book a little bit. You know, tell me a little bit about the Freedom Journal, uh, because I'm not familiar with it. And I'd like to understand it, because as soon as you attach journal to it, I'm kind of connected to it, because I do journal. So that's so I'm not suggesting that's what it is, but I'm sure there's some connotation or a, a aspect of that. So give me a little bit about your Freedom Journal. Yeah, you know, um, the Freedom Journal was something that came out of requests that I'd received for a number of years. And we did. We did the. Um, we did the uh, the larger hardcover book a couple of years back, and you know we got a lot of positive from that. We also got some people that um, were part of, I guess, my tribe or the number of years that had purchased it and said, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing this?" I said, "Well, incidentally, that's something I'm working on, but how about you share?" And so we actually went out to some folks that you know a few hundred folks that are part of the the community and got their input into this. So. The planner journal is very much around individuals who are like you and myself, who know that you can accomplish more if you actually are able to put it down. And it's a plan that um, you follow through on a daily basis. And you're always going to have things that come up unexpected, things that are deferred, things you're waiting for. Um, But what most people do is they don't have any kind of a plan or thought process behind their day. And the average person today, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, is you get up, you go to work, and you come home. But on the entrepreneurial side, the challenge that arises, and um, you've probably seen this, where someone gets up and the first thing they do is put fires out because whatever they procrastinate, whether intentional or not, whatever they procrastinated on the day before, two days, three days, for a week, a month, a year, whatever it is, now their whole life is consumed with putting out fires. Um, whatever is important to them, in addition to that, whatever is important that has to happen gets relegated to the far corner of the desk, the back of the truck, the van, whatever whatever it is they do. 
And they don't address those things that are are the imperative steps they need to take until they become problems or fires, as we said. And so this really addresses that, you know, procrastination is just a tool in the toolbox uh, or the or, or you know, um, the idea that we don't want to do something because it's difficult. It's just a tool in the toolbox of procrastination. Um, perfection is a tool in the toolbox of procrastination. And what this this little book and, and the system behind it is really meant to uh, hold us accountable, um, have us, you know, invest the time, not a lot maybe 15 minutes a day at tops to be able to journal this and put it down on this. You know, there's only so many lines on that one page, um, but also that it gives you an opportunity for what you're grateful for, um, what you did accomplish, what you didn't accomplish for a whole bunch of reasons, whatever they are, what was deferred. You know, uh, we had one guy that owns, he owns a, a very large, he's in Vancouver, actually a very large mechanical shop or shops, plural, on the lower mainland. And he's using this and he raves about it because he says, you know, listen, he says, I can't control everything. I can't control what goes on daily with other people. He said, but I can put it down, I can defer it to a specific date, and I can revisit it so it doesn't get left behind. Um, so there's a lot of that. If we start to understand human nature a little bit, and I'm very fortunate, I probably understand you know this much out of God knows how much is out there, how that six inches between the ears work. When we start to um, realize that sometimes it's our own, it's us, that stands in our own way of, of the progress that we need, want, desire, and ultimately, I think, deserve. Um, this is one of the ways you start to, to uh, achieve at a different level. And um, you start to see the outcomes or the returns from those shifts and changes. Well, I guess one could argue that we're the only thing that's ever in our way, but uh, that's a different conversation, perhaps. But <laughs> let's go back. Uh, I want to kind of touch base on why you do what you do money aside you know your point uh being that you don't need to work one-on-one -on -one, but you do there's but like there's things that you do within your business that you don't really need to do you're not doing it for financial reasons you're doing it because perhaps you love to do it you like to see the change you like to be able to experience somebody progressing and being able to be a contribution so there's there's three words that always come to me from a coaching point of view a business point of view and that is you know are you are you being a contribution because money is you could be making a lot of money, but if you're not feeling like you're being a contribution, and I just had a conversation not that long ago with a, a government auditor, and although they were making great dough, they didn't feel like they were being a contribution and they were just hating life. So my point is this, is that contribution. I might, I might, I might agree with them. <laughs> That's contribution, right? The next thing is, you know, fulfillment, because if you're not being a contribution, you never get the opportunity to have that sense of fulfillment in doing what you do, given how much we work and how much time we put into it. And of course you get to be a contribution and feel that fulfillment given that you're going to see the progress of your clients. So that's those, that's the next word that really resonates for me in this, in this journey. And the last one, which was interesting because you talked about your book and the legacy that it leaves, but the, the third one, this is a human need. And actually all of these are human needs from my perspective and my learning. And that is significance. If we don't have significance, then we get shut down. And ultimately, the significance for you lives on in your book. The significance that you have is the contribution you get to be and the difference you get to make in other people's lives. So I share that only for our listeners because I know that whether you articulated it or not, and we could have got around to it, but I know that's where you come from. And I think it's an important thing for people to understand that, you know, because the next question I'm going to get to 
and you may not have an answer for this, but I want to talk about success. And, you know, you talked about it earlier on in this conversation. You mentioned it with your clients. And, you know, some people define success as how much money they make. You know, to me, that's a scorecard. And, you know, that's just one part. That's a scorecard. So, but do you have a definition for success? And I'm not putting pressure on you to have one. I'm just curious. I think there's a vast difference between success and significance that you alluded to a moment ago. Success, you know, by most standards could be, well, you know, I've got so much money in the bank. That was my goal was my objective. I have, you know, the home I want. I have the cars I want, these types of things. And I think that's how most people view it. I would suggest based on my own experience, a significance is a whole different ballgame. And I'll address, you know, the description here in a minute of success, your question. But I want to touch on this. Significance, I think, is from my humble perspective, is where you're able to do those things you want to do in order to affect change that people want in their lives. And significance is the ability to do that uh, without the financial component being a necessity. Because I think when we're in a place where we're extremely I met with a coach one time. I stepped off the stage. It was down in Reno. I was uh, I was um, the opening keynote for a four-day event. And all this guy thought he was going to do at the event was closed coaching. And he walked around this room. There were 1,700 people, give or take, in the room. And all he did was walk around the room and try and close people. And by the time four days was over, nobody wanted to talk to him. He hadn't closed anybody. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we think about things from our own perspective you know if you're focused very much on you you're not going to do what it is you think you want to do if you're focused on the ability to serve support others you're going to have a whole different level of success i'm not going to tell you that i'm god or that you know i i've i've ever faltered or that I am, you know, always altruistic in my approach, but certainly that's an overarching focus of mine. Uh, from a success, the recording that came out, you know, I think it was 1959, The Strangest Secret, um, mm-hmm. Earl Nightingale, he says yeah. the the definition of success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. I don't know that you ever actually achieve success, you know, having utilized that, and you've heard that obviously before. I subscribe to that very simply because I think it is about the journey. Um, you know, the destination, if you're not learning and if you're not growing throughout your entire life, you're dying. And that may be a harsh statement for some, but I do believe that. Do I think I've achieved success? No, I, I don't think I've achieved success. I think I have been able to help others get to a place where they experience a life they want, need, desire, and deserve. And for me, that certainly is a representative of some level of success. But, you know, I learn every day and I have the privilege to learn from the amazing, incredible people I have the privilege to work with. And, you know, when I do shows like this and I get to speak to folks all over, whether it's from stage or whether it's radio or television or podcast, one of the interesting sides of this is usually I'll get people that will reach out to me afterwards and ask questions. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's being able to add value to their lives as well. You know, I, it's actually, when I ask the question, I, I actually don't ask that question. I quit asking the question of success. I, I bring it up in discussion because of who you are and, and what you do in the world. But I did have an interesting definition passed on to me not that long ago and uh, with another coach, by the way. And I said, so what, how do you define success? How would you define success? And he was very quick to answer it. And he said, I define success as 
are you and by if I can say yes to am I living the vision for my life and you know something if I'm living the vision for my life then I'm successful and that vision is always changing it changes week to week month to month year to year it's just we're growing and we're going so if you're living that vision then that is got no it's got nothing to do with money because money could actually not be the vision for your life it may be something that you uh, you live a very meager humble life yet you're living your vision therefore you can hold yourself as successful. So it was a really interesting kind of play on the term success. And we get, cause we get really get into it. I know I do have, and that's why I quit asking the question is just that, how do you, how the hell do you define it? But of all the definitions, I think that was the best definition I'd heard in a very, very long time. And it really spoke to me at the time. And I did, I'll say this one other thing is because he, it was, he said the other thing that he said was I asked him about at the end of the, uh, at the end of the podcast, I always ask my guests, what are you grateful for? And his, his answer was thoughtful. And he said, I'm grateful for all the things that I have to be grateful about. And I went, that's the best freaking answer I've ever heard. So that was awesome. So I wanted to share that with you uh, for no other reason than they were kind of cool, cool definitions. And they kind of speak to all of what we've talked about, even in this little segment of the show. I, I really honestly believe this. If you live your life in a way and you operate your businesses in a way, and I say businesses because I'm that guy that has, you know, my hands in more than pie at the same time, usually, but Yes, we need to make money. Money is not an evil thing. Money's a tool. And I've, you know, I remember stepping off a stage and I was in in what we would consider the the Bible Belt of the United States. And I had this woman come up to me and say, uh, you know, that um, she's a she's a very strong believer and uh, a woman of faith, and that um, money is is the root of all evil. Sure. And I I said to her, I said, well, that's actually not what it says. I says the love of money is what it says is the root of all evil money's a tool if you're if you're uh you know you're, you frame houses and you show up on a job site and you don't have the tools in your truck you're pretty much useless as a framer mm -hmm. money is just a tool right that's really what it boils down to and I, and I think once we understand that in today's world in today's society you have to have a certain amount of money for the lifestyle you want and to be able to give back to those people that you know you want to you share with or that you love and support uh, and i think that's a key so i'm not discounting money by any stretch of the imagination i think uh -huh. we all need it um, but I think if you approach this from a different angle, instead of what I want and what, how can I serve and support, what can I give from an altruistic standpoint? I'm not saying that you, you know, you, if you operate a retail store, you shouldn't have prices and you should just let people walk out. I'm not saying that. Um, but I think there's, there's a different way of, of serving um, that changes the dynamic of any kind of a business relationship, whether it's, you know, it's, it's a couple seconds long inside of a retail environment, or there's a much longer sales cycle, you know, for different types of businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, of course, when we look at it, I often think that I'm only looking at it through a set of eyes called entrepreneur called business. But you know, there's a whole other kind of world out there called people with careers and jobs. And how do they seek that fulfillment? How do they form a a definition for success for themselves, given there may be limitations within the environment that they have and or the framework that they are, at the end of the day, they still have to be able to, you know, arrive somewhere and or achieve some goal or some outcome that lights them up and makes them feel better for what they've done, the time they've put in perhaps. And, and of course we can go down that whole rabbit hole of, uh, you know, different conversations of what people do or not do. But anyways, uh, that's I'll, I'll share, I'll share my answer. You haven't asked me yet, but I'll share the answer. I mean, I said this before, if I've been able to positively impact one life, 
you know, it was all worthwhile. Now, I, I think I've probably exceeded that, and I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, as I as years have gone by, that has, you know, I've, I've sort of added to that as well because I've been fortunate enough to have two incredible kids. Uh, you know, and I'm in from an age perspective, if you'd have told me, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have, uh, you know, a five and 11 year old at this age of my life, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, but, you know, um, the success also translates to kids. And, you know, this being a dad, and I think you're you're also a grandfather now, if, yep. if, uh, if I remember correctly. I am, I am. You know, uh, you know, and so at the end of the day, you know, I think there's a certain level of whatever the definition is around success that plays into that and how, you know, you're able to impact the lives of those who you have, uh, you know, especially children, a significant, significant influence over. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, Sean, you know, we could go on a long time, but I should wind this down. I appreciate your time, by the way, and uh, great conversation. Love it. As I wind down, I like to kind of do some, what we refer to as rapid fire questions that aren't quite so rapid fire, but they're fun to just kind of walk through and uh, we'll see how you do on these. And then, uh, and then we'll part ways, but uh, I really do appreciate some of the insights and or many of the insights that you've shared today. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Okay, so let's just uh, wrap off, uh, wrap it up with some of these questions. Uh, this one isn't that all that rapid fire, but I'm I'm curious for you. Uh, you've got your success. Uh, well, no, what did you call it? Uh, sorry, I lost the journal, the name of your journal, Freedom Journal, and um, you know, so that's part of a routine. I'm assuming for you in your day somewhere. Uh, do you have a morning or an evening routine? What 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 kind of discipline do you have around you know physical, mental, spiritual? Uh, in terms of a routine, a practice, if you will? Um, specifically with, you know, so I'm a morning guy. Um, typically, I'm up by five in the morning. I mean, there are rare exceptions to that rule, but typically up by five o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I have routines on all fronts, you know, whether it's from a journaling standpoint outside of even what we were talking about a moment ago, uh, from a physical standpoint, obviously, I think that's important. Um, uh, but also, you know, when it comes to relationships, so, you know, with my wife as well, so uh, there's definitely morning guys. As far as you know, the we talked about the the journal or the planner. One of the things that I do is both morning and evening take about bro oh, five, six, seven minutes and invest that time you know into into that mm -hmm. uh, both morning and evening. You know, on average. I mean, certainly there's the odd times you're traveling, you know, that kind of thing, and I do a fair bit of that where I don't, especially if it's you know for for pleasure. Uh, but you know, I would say 300 days out of 365, I I probably spend about 15 minutes, um, you know, just putting pen to paper and you know allowing the the thoughts and ideas to flow as well as the accountability well it's interesting too right is that if you don't ever take that time because it really creates the focus for you right like most people don't seem to think in those terms you know that they really take the time take the time to be present to what am i going to get done and what am i going to do and those kinds of things more to your point about firefighting or being reactive okay now this is going to be a tough question for you i'm sure aside from your book do you have a favorite book that you gift had a big impact on your life? You know, something that really stands out for you? Yeah, it is a tough question because I think there's a whole bunch more than one. Um, you know, the ones that come to mind, um, you know, definitely um, I would go probably to, um, to think and grow rich, yeah. which I alluded to earlier in the conversation. Uh, certainly I've probably read that book 40 times. Mm. There's a lot out there. There's a book called, you may have read this by Price Pritchett, a book called You Square. It's 34 pages. Mm. I order them by the case and give them to all of our all of our clients. Oh, cool. Uh, if you haven't, yeah, if you haven't, if you haven't yet, um, you know, get a copy. Uh, so that's Y-O-U and then the, the, the two for squared, you two, you squared. I've seen the book, but I have not read it. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's it, honestly it'll take you mere minutes. Uh, Price Pritchett, Doctor Price Pritchett out of Texas, is the author. He's written a ton of stuff. Um, this this book, uh, I've probably given away. I don't know five or six thousand copies over the years. Wow. Recommended it many more times. Yeah. Um, I carry a copy with me in my briefcase. It is undoubtedly um, probably in the top three for me. Anyway, cool. iPhone or Android? Android. <laughs> Oh, you're an Android guy. Oh, finally, yes. an Android guy. I'm not anymore, by the way. They they put so much pressure on me. I, I was I was shamed into going to iPhone. I, <laughs> I, I have, the, the amount of pressure I get from my staff, from my family, including my kids. <laughs> but yes, it's still an Android. Oh boy, oh boy. Okay. I did I did break down I did break down by a Mac though, even okay. though it's sitting at home. Yeah, well, you know, something I did that first too, and then I finally went to the phone. Okay, do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Yeah. And that this is probably equally as hard as the question around yeah, books. Of course. Um, I think it's the, the probably uh, Henry Ford, whether you think you can or can't, either way, you're right. Yep. Favorite swear word? I endeavor to have none. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, gosh, you're okay. Fine, fine. Uh, listen, I have had people that, you know, guests, because I'm not that guy. I have lots of favorite swear words. and uh, But I have had guests that have said, yeah, no, I don't swear. What? Well, I'll never say that. Uh, I, I'm certainly, I certainly, I, I'm not going to stand on that pedestal at all. Um, uh, you know, I was doing something at our summer place and I, I cracked my head this about two weeks ago. And I know for a fact, the word that came out of my mouth was anything but uh, yeah, yeah. child friendly. Yeah, yeah. And my 11 year old looked at me and he's like, dad, I should wash your mouth out with, with soap. And I'm like, oh, yes. That's funny. So, um, I'll say this. Yeah, I, I rarely will I. Very yes. rare. Okay. Very good. Very good. Room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Definitely the car. Okay. Favorite tune? Do you have one or favorite? Much, much to the chagrin of my wife. <laughs> favorite tune or favorite uh, band? Do you have one? I don't know. I don't have a favorite band. I think I probably would extend that question if you'll allow me the latitude and say genre. Uh, and I would, you know, I well, I like rock and roll, some of the older stuff. Um I'm, uh, you know, I was born and raised in Western Canada, so I'll say country music. Oh, there you go. You know, so it was interesting. Uh, I, I'm, I went to, I was going through some music this weekend. It was my wife's uh, birthday, a milestone birthday. We had a party, and I was kind of looking at playlists, and I got into my old playlist, and I came across a book by or uh, an album by Ray Charles called My World, and there isn't a song, there isn't a tune on that album that I don't like. And it was, it's Ray Charles, my world. And you, you know, something I recommended that album to so many people, nobody can find it yet. I have it. Um, so if you find it, folks download it, it's a great, great album. Okay. Favorite movie. Do you have one? Okay. Here's, I'm going to give you what most dads answer, whatever the kids are watching. Yeah. You know what? I, I don't, <laughs> this is really sad. I don't watch much movies, yeah. it, it, theater or TV. I don't think since, well, it's probably been three years since I've actually gone to a theater and seen a movie. I don't want to say adult movie because that makes it sound, but <laughs> something, that isn't an, something that isn't animated. <laughs> Got it. And final question. Uh, what are you grateful for today, Sean? Well, this is a grand after you gave me what your, you know, your prior guest said. Yeah. You know, you know what? I'll, I'll say this. Every single thing in my life is is there by intention, mine or, or you know, a higher power, in my humble opinion. And that's my belief system. I am in a place where most people 
probably only dream of being, you know, I'm healthy. I have two incredibly healthy kids. I have a beautiful wife. Yeah. And I get to do those things that I think are important to me and, and to them. And I think the the idea that I can do that by serving others in the way I do is what ultimately it comes down to. And that's what I'm grateful for. Fantastic. And I am grateful for having you and uh, connecting with you. And uh, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.